Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is Matt Liner, and you're listening to Reign of Troy Radio. Reign of Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Could I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Get Michael Castillo on the phone. <laughs> Scratch, claw, up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. Oh, I can't believe USC is 5-7 and seven and not going to a ball. Oh, all right, Trojan fans, turn up the volume. It's time for Reign of Troy Radio. Here's your host, Michael Castillo. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Reign of Troy Radio, episode 334, coming to you on Tuesday, September 24th. We're going to look back at USC's 30-23 win over the number 10 Utah Utes at the Coliseum on Friday night. We're going to take your listener questions, open up the rant line, and so much more here on this episode. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy, like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Reign of Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play, and Spreaker. Our bonus episodes are on Patreon, patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. Our email address is Reign of Troy at fansided.com, and our phone number is 213-373-1872. I'm your host, Michael Castillo. Join along with my co-host, Alicia Daratola. Hello, everybody. Hello, Alicia. What a weekend of football that was. First of all, it was a weird weekend for us because the game was on Friday, so then Saturday we could watch football. We could watch other games for like the first time all year. How cool was that? But what a weird weekend of football, especially in the Pac-12. Number 10 Utah goes down. Uh, Undefeated ASU goes down. Undefeated Washington State goes down in the weirdest of ways. uh, Despite scoring, you know, 63 points, they still lose to UCLA. What a freaking weird, weird, weird sport we watch. Yeah, what I discovered is I get a lot more work done when when I can ignore the NFL as opposed to accepting that I'm never going to ignore college football because college football is wonderful. And Friday was an example of that. Uh, So many good games to watch, so many just fun things to see. And yes, that UCLA game, I, uh, (laughs) there are no words, there are no words to describe what happened uh, with that UCLA game. Oh my God. Pretty much. Yeah. I think teams are still scoring in that game. Max Borgie's still putting up fantasy points, as is Anthony Gordon. Well, I don't, I don't mind that, though, because Max Borgie's on my fantasy team. Uh, so he helped me he helped me beat Jake. What's Bruin show? Jake. So, you know, you do, uh, Wazoo didn't, didn't beat UCLA, but I beat uh, the What's Bruin show, thanks to Wazoo. I don't want to talk about my fantasy team because I had Keaton Slovis as my starting quarterback. Well, you can't talk about your fantasy team, and you also can't talk about over-unders, so what are you going to do this week, Michael? Uh, Alicia, why are you spoiling the episode? (laughs) Just a teaser. Just a little tease. But the point is, I called USC's win on Friday night 
which beats everything else. So let's get into the rave line calls because there was plenty of that. Let's get to it. Rain Troy Radio, what's up? This is Dave from Orange County. Hey guys, Jeff from Copenhagen. Dave in Utah. Darlene from San Diego. Cameron from Fresco, Texas. Top charging fan from Virginia. What's up, guys? It's Andrew Fontana. Hey, Rain Troy, this is L.A. Fred. This is Marcelo in Austin, Texas. Austin, Buckeye Country. This is Andrew from Buckeye Country. This is Zach from Ladera Ranch. This is Lamont from ATL. Hey guys, this is Michael in Idaho. I imagine this line's just blowing up. Michael, you said that there is no football reason for USC to win this game. So let's go through it, Michael. Was there some kind of weather situation that happened that caused Utah from being able to score another touchdown? No. Was there some kind of disaster or something happened that rendered half of Utah's team incapable to play? No, was, was, was there some, like, was there some kind of sanction or something that took out Utah's first and second string? No, but USC won the game because of football reasons, Michael. Football reasons, Michael. Let's go, baby. SC won. Let's go. USC had no football reason to win this game. Utah had no football reason to lose this game. Can I blame Michael Castillo for this? Michael was right. Michael was right. Michael was right. Michael, you're right. There is no football reason to have won that game. And yet that's exactly what happened. Get Michael Castillo on the phone because he is Nosferatu. I guess the only thought I have is that the football gods are probably just laughing at us. As I said a couple of weeks ago, it takes a big man to admit when he's wrong. I called it in earlier. I was wrong, so I'm growing again, I guess. I was wrong. We're not going two and four, baby. Maybe three and three. Maybe three and three, but not two and four. What a game. How about those Trojans? Let's open up that rave line. Woohoo! Great win, Trojans. Great game. It had everything. Everything. To all the BYU fans out there across the country and across the world, you're welcome. How did we win that game? How? It was the craziest game I've ever watched, but I'm happy. Did we just freaking win the South just now? Did that just happen? I cannot believe what I just saw. Man, we were outplayed in every facet of the game. Oh, man. But when it comes down to it, SC has that talent. This is not a well-coached team, but they're more talented, and our playmakers stepped the f*** up, and they made it. They made this win happen. Stock up on Talano Ufanga and Drake Jackson for beasting out on the defense. Drake Jackson and Talano Ufanga and Michael Pittman are just monsters. Drake Jackson, defensive MVP, carrying his team on his back. That guy, Drake Jackson, is unbelievable. Michael effing Pittman Jr.? No, that's a Superman right there. How about that, Matt Fink? That guy was in the portal. He was gone. He came back, and he balled out. What a great opportunity for him. Great decision by him to stay. Third string quarterback, balling out. Throwing that ball to Michael Pittman all day, all night. Michael Pittman making plays left and right. What is the likelihood that today will be Alicia's birthday and her dude, Vi, would help seal it in the fourth quarter and her boy, Fink, would come off the bench second game and second play into the game and play what I think is, a, is an outstanding game. And also Marquis Step. Inject some more Marquis Step into my veins. That dude just fires the team up. That touchdown, the handshake with Reggie Bush, he gave us a photograph, an image 
that will go down in USC history, and it was awesome. And uh, seeing Marquis Step run to Reg Bush in the end zone, hashtag mood. Flashback to when Deontay Burnett did the same thing with Matt Liner. Nobody got in the way, no flags were thrown, and yet this rush, if you're going to throw the flag, throw the flag. But let the kid have his moment. Let Reggie have the moment. This is Corey from Pasadena. Like Reggie said, you know who picked the throws and who didn't. You thought we were going to lose to Reggie in the building. Those kids saw Reggie Bush, and I think they were inspired. All the Reggie chants during the game, like halftime at the end of the game, was so fun. It just makes me think, man, I really wanted to be back. I really want to see his number five jersey. You have to get USC to bring Reggie back. So with that said, not really excited for USC football in general. Happy for the players, but this game was bad for USC football. You know, it, it, it got the job done, but I don't think it's going to get the job done next week the way we play today. USC football is kind of like a guy on meth right now. We all know that it's bad. We all know they have all these issues and they need to get it fixed. They need to go to rehab. They need to get a new coach. But then they have a moment like tonight where they find some meth and they get really high and they feel really good and Clay Helton's going to come out of this game thinking they're on the right track it feels good but this is a bad football team and this team that played tonight played like this last week in Provo man what could the national narrative be at least they won because then Alicia to say she had a happy birthday beer again this week and it's going to taste a hell of a lot better than it did last week and you know what I'm going to open up a second one celebration of Alicia's birthday so happy birthday Penguin this one's for you have a great birthday Alicia Alicia, happy birthday. You just got the most amazing birthday present ever. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, the goat of all USC Trojans, Penguin of Troy, Alicia Deratola. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday and happy think day. Games like last night, the improbable happening. That's why you get up, go to the game, cheer for the team, cheer on third down, even when they give up long third downs. The Slack channel is legit the funniest thing during the game. I watched the Slack channel more than I did the actual game inside the stadium. All of you guys are hilarious, like Mid-City-ish, uh, Top Trojan fan, uh, Dave from Orange County, Dave from Utah, you know, all these, Michael, as always, Alicia, all of you guys are hilarious. If I missed anybody, BJ from Inglewood, you guys are funny, man. The Slack channel was awesome. If you are not, I hope you put this on on the, the rave line called, it's a rave line, baby! But I hope you put this on the rave line, uh, on the montage, Michael, because I'm about to do a commercial. If you are not subscribed to the Patreon, uh, any one of the tiers, you need to do it right now. 555 uh, is all it takes to get the extra content. And then the next year, I don't know the price, guys, to get on the Slack channel, get in the community and talk with us. But it is amazing. You will have a wonderful time. I'm on there while I'm supposed to be working. But, you know, I'm, I have to stay in touch with, with, with the Reina Troy family. Top Trojan fan, not sleeping at night because I'm too fired up, too excited, too pumped. Anyway, uh, fight on. It's a great win. Fight on, everybody. Have a great start to your weekend. Fight on and fight out. Fight on. Fight on and beat Dosky. Fight out. Yes, that's it. Thanks. Fight on. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Sean from Mid-City-ish. Okay. 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 All right. Well done here. Well done here. Oh, I love a good callback, Michael. I love a good callback, and that might be the best callback, because really, when it all when it all is said and done, 
uh, this game was was weird and okay is is about uh, all I can say about it. I just love that we got new drops like this one. Michael was right. Michael was right. Michael was right. Great drop. Great drop. Yeah, it, it happens. It happens. Beautiful. So beautiful. Uh, you guys are awesome. Thanks for calling in the rant line, uh, a.k.a. the rave line when USC gets a win over a team like Utah on Friday night. Phone number 213-373-1872. Save it into your phone now and call Saturday afternoon while USC is playing Washington on the road up at Husky Stadium in Seattle. We're, we'll be there. We're super pumped about it. Uh, and there'll be plenty of things for us to discuss from Seattle, which means now is a perfect time to join us on Patreon, where not only we'll have a pregame Q&A, even though we kind of didn't do one last week, and I feel like people are mad at us about it. We shouldn't say this in the... Uh, <laughs> well, we in, promote in, this thing, in, the, we? in the pitch for the Patreon. <laughs> not, a good, not a good pitch, but the pitch is that we're going to do a pregame Q&A from Seattle this week. Which is definitely going to happen. It'll be awesome. Uh, have a Seattle vibe to it. I don't know exactly what a Seattle vibe means for Q and A, Q&A, but we're about to find out. A little out. grunge, a little grunge, a little. little grunge. Uh, Play, we're playing like Nirvana in the background or something like that. Yeah, a little Jimi Hendrix. There you go. I could dig it. Maybe I'll be drinking some Seattle coffee. Supposedly, it's good coffee in Seattle. You won't, but I will. Hell no, hell no. Coffee's terrible and for grownups, but. The point is, a lot of good stuff over there on Patreon, including Elise's rewatch, and she looked back at USC's win over Utah and broke it down play-by-play, uh, play almost, it seems. Uh, go listen to that, patreon.com slash Troy. You can support all of our stuff, uh, all of our podcasts, by listening and subscribing, and for 10 bucks a month, you can join the Slack channel, and that has been a grand old freaking time. Yeah, the Slack channel is is hopping. I was able to actually connect a little bit during the game this time on Friday. Uh, so slowly but surely, my internet is connecting a little bit better at the Coliseum. So we'll take it. Uh, and it's always it's always a blast during the game. So yeah, people are having fun in there, having big conversations, big discussions, and you know, sharing random stuff too. So uh, come come check it out. Yep, it is fun. patreoncom Troy is where you can join. The parte, and we will suit you an invite uh, to our Slack channel if you want to be a member of the Rock Crew for ten bucks a month. Otherwise, five fifty five gets you all of our bonus episodes on Patreon. The great thing, if you're hesitant about joining a Patreon because you don't want to listen to our bonus episodes on Patreon, you can just plug it right into whatever podcatcher you're listening to. Uh, so if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, boom, perfect time. Throw it in there into Apple Podcasts, and you get to listen to. All of our bonus episodes, uh, including the rewatch, practice car cast, pregame Q&A, and so much more. Uh, that's going to be it for that little spiel. Let's get into the news up next. Alicia, Keaton Slovis did not last long in USC's win over the Utah Utes. Two plays, in fact, he got hurt, uh, and he is now in concussion protocol, according to Clay Helton, uh, who spoke about the quarterback situation in the Sunday night conference call. Everything's a huge question mark for the Trojans this week at quarterback. Uh, Slovis is in concussion protocol. Uh, Clay Helton will not name a starter 
Uh, at least for now, maybe later in the week, we'll get some more cl- clear news about that. Uh, Slovis could potentially return to practice on Tuesday, but again, uh, it all depends on how things are going in concussion protocol. We'll hear more from Clay Helton on Tuesday. Uh, either way, Slovis will be clued into what's going on with the game plan, whether it's going to be him or Matt Fink. We don't know. We'll have to wait. Uh, Helton was asked if there's any other potential position changes, uh, just in case Matt Fink needs a backup and if Slovis is going to miss the, the, the UW game. And he insists Brandon Purdue uh, is the backup for, for Matt Fink, along with Scott Harris and Trevor Scully, all three walk-ons. Brandon Purdue obviously was a safety for the Trojans against Fresno State and had a couple of tackles in week one. Yeah, with any luck, USC won't have to turn to the walk-on quarterback. But you know what? I'm embracing chaos, so bring it. <laughs> well, let's let's get some Purdue going on here. Um I, I'm very curious to see if we see Keaton Slovis on, on Tuesday. I don't think we will. Um, generally, I, I know that they base concussion protocol on a series of tests that you have to clear in order to, uh, to, to get cleared medically. And from, like, just from the way that I've, I've seen, uh, people go through concussion protocol in the past, when you actually do have a concussion, which I would be stunned if, if Keaton Slovis didn't, sustain a medical 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 grade you know concussion on Friday that it usually takes at least a week to clear those uh to clear those hurdles so I I I half expect to not see him on Tuesday or Wednesday but then again this past week Greg Johnson was in concussion protocol and uh, he was back out there by Wednesday so you never know with these kinds of things but uh, I can I can tell you just seeing Keaton Slovis coming off the field he sure looked concussed to me so uh, got to sort of prepare for the idea of Matt Fink going in there and having to having to play. And, you know, if USC is unlucky enough to have a third quarterback injury at that point, then you just shrug your shrug your shoulders and say, eh, let's see what Purdue can do. Yeah, the, the difficult thing about concussion protocol is it's it's a protocol, right? It, it's a pro- list of procedures. It's not saying that he has a concussion. Uh, it's not saying that he doesn't have a concussion. He's just doing the protocol. He's just doing the things that you're supposed to do when you get your bell rung. Uh, so he could be out no, no further time and be back on Tuesday or he could be out weeks. Who the hell knows? Uh, that's the nature nature of head injuries. Uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, but it's going to be fascinating to see what happens with Matt Fink, whether or not Fink gets the start over Slovis or not. Uh, that'll be something I think we'll probably discuss a little bit more later in the week as we get to our USC versus UW uh, game preview. Uh, One thing that is super fascinating is the uh, odds. The odds makers in Vegas open the line at eight points in favor of the Huskies. It has already moved up to 10. The Trojans, 10-point underdogs on the road this week against number 17 Washington, despite the Trojans being ranked 21st. Well, I mean, like, this has got to be all about the road nature of this, right? The road nature of this, plus uh, the, the quarterback the, the uncertainty, quarterback situation. plus how good Washington looked last week against BYU. Uh, UW has three wins. They're 3-1, and one, just like the Trojans. And each one of those three wins has been damn good. Like, they, they look really good in their wins. Uh, the loss to Cal was weird, a weird loss. I mean, Cal's a good team, but the loss to Cal doesn't look great. 
but they've looked really good in each win. So, but Cal Cal is now an undefeated team. Um, right. and that game was delayed because of uh, weather. So uh, even the circumstances around the Cal game were weird. And right. and like you said, like UW is a team that you probably trust a lot more than USC at this point. Chris Peterson is a coach you trust a lot more than USC at this point. And, uh, you know, Husky Stadium is something you trust a lot more than USC on the road at this point. So, like, I, I understand it. Eight points is a lot. Ten points is definitely a lot uh, for a conference matchup. But at the same time, like, my policy when it comes to USC and, and the odds makers' lines is, you know, don't put your faith in USC because... <laughs> You know, they tend not to cover and uh, they they, you know, tend to do exactly what you expect them to do, except when they're playing Utah at home, because Utah at home is, is is always what it is. Yeah. Death taxes and the Utes loosen to the Trojans at the Coliseum. That's what happens. Uh, let's uh, change subjects here and talk about recruiting. This was a huge last couple of days for USC recruiting in terms of storylines and in terms of big shakeups, I I don't even know what to make of it here. Uh, Bryce Young long been been rumored to potentially be a decommitment for USC, uh, been sought after by Alabama. He finally decommits after being committed for over a year. He committed uh, at, at on Pac-12 Media Day last year. Uh, so that was what a year and two months that he had been committed to the Trojans. He decommits on Sunday, flips over to Alabama becomes an Alabama commit, potentially could have his first start next year against USC after two attack of Iloa moves on to the NFL. How weird would that be? But, and at the moment, it looks like, oh, everything's terrible for USC. They've lost Bryce Young. The The quarterback, uh, you know, recruitment is, is completely up for grabs. They've already lost, you know, DJ over at uh, St. John Bosco, who's going to Clemson. Like, what the heck's going to happen? Because, you know, he goes to Clemson because... SC had Bryce Young, and now it looks like they're going to get neither of them. Lo and behold, on Monday, SC gets the commitment of five-star 2021 quarterback Jake Garcia out of uh, two-time CAF state champion Narbonne in Harbor City. And it feels like SC's right back to where they were. Um, Jake Garcia is really damn good. He's 2021, so the timeline's pushed back a little bit which changes things slightly, and I don't know what to make of it at this point. Yeah, well, I mean, USC loses one five-star quarterback and gains another, and that's just that's just USC. Just when you think they're dead in the water when it comes to recruiting, uh, they turn around and have a huge, uh, huge revival. And the, the interesting thing about Jake Garcia is he's a different kind of quarterback than Bryce Young, but like he said, he's a legit quarterback, uh, one of the best quarterbacks in that class. And if you want to put the sort of silver lining on on everything, the timing probably works out better for for Jake Garcia coming to USC in 2021 than Bryce Young coming in 2020, because you know set aside all of the stuff with the where USC's program is at compared to Alabama's and all that kind of stuff, Bryce Young gets to go to Bama and immediately compete for a starting job as a true freshman. Where uh, coming to USC, USC has JT Daniels taking a red shirt this year and then coming back with three years of eligibility uh, available to him uh, starting in 2020. Along with Keaton Slovis. USC has Keaton Slovis emerge as a potential you know, reason for JT Daniels to transfer away. And Keaton Slovis will have three years of eligibility uh, coming down the line after this season. 
Uh, So you're looking at it and thinking, well, is Bryce Young going to come in and even have a chance to compete for a starting job in 2020 at USC if Keaton Slovis is the starter or if JT Daniels is the guy? Um, When you look at it, the the possibility of Bryce Young having to sit as great a talent as he is uh, was getting larger and larger every game that was going on this year. So Jake Garcia delaying it out to 2021 means that he comes in, in theory, when Keaton Slovis is a junior and potentially looking at the NFL, or when JT Daniels is a, a redshirt junior and potentially looking at the NFL. So it, the, the timing on it kind of makes more sense, uh, at, the, at the very least. Um, that's not to say it's, it isn't a complication for USC, because... You don't know what's going to be going on with the program. You don't know what's going on going to go be going on with a head coach, um, and and you don't know what's going to be going on with the quarterback recruiting for the next two years now. Because as we see right now, USC was already low on quarterbacks. There is the potential for JT Daniels to transfer out. That means USC is going to be lower on quarterbacks. Uh, that means that you're going to have to bring in a quarterback in this class and a quarterback in the in the in the. Um, in the following, well, I guess in the 2020 class, you need a quarterback. So you still are going to have to go out and find somebody to, you know, some body, if not two bodies to come in and fill a hole. So it's, yeah, it, it's complicated. It's really complicated. But in the grand scheme of things, if you're going to lose a five-star quarterback, bring in another five-star quarterback. Yeah, the, the whole timeline stuff is is fascinating because it could work out for for the better for USC, but I'm not going to sit here and say that it will uh, just because... Look how quickly things have changed. You know, a month ago, we were talking about how JT Daniels was going to be the guy at USC for, you know, this year, maybe next year, potentially go on the NFL. Who knows, right? And and, and Bryce Young was going to swoop in right at the perfect time uh, after him. And then everything changed. Uh, Keaton Slovis has come in because of JT Daniels tearing his ACL, and the whole situation has just completely turned. Uh, that kind of stuff could continue to happen, or who knows what can happen, right, with the with the quarterback situation, given what we've seen. Who knows? Maybe Matt Fink ends up being the guy the rest of the year, and then he's the incumbent going into his redshirt senior season next year. Who the hell knows? Uh, a million different things can happen. That's why it's, I think, you know, the, the reaction on Twitter has been interesting. Um, the number of people who have, who have, jumped out and said like oh it doesn't matter you know it's two years out you, you will celebrate when the the ink is dry and all that kind of stuff like yeah but this is the nature of recruiting like you got to take the the take the commitment take what you can from the commitment acknowledge that commitments are fleeting and that you don't know the future and you don't know how things are going to go but like still acknowledge if losing Bryce Young was bad on Sunday then gaining Jake Garcia is good on Monday and we'll we'll see how it goes but that's the thing is nobody knows what next month is going to hold, let alone what next year is going to hold for USC football. There's a lot of, of things in motion. Even if things were more steady, there would be a lot of things in motion and things that you couldn't uh, anticipate or, or control. So that's just the nature of the game at this point and sort of uh, accepting the, the, the fleeting nature of all of this is kind of part of the deal. Yeah, one of the things I find interesting is that SC's recruiting class in 2020 is, like, awful. They're 62nd in the country. They're behind Tulane, yep. East Carolina, Louisiana Tech. Like, these are teams that should never even remotely sniff the area of where USC is recruiting these rankings, and yet SC is behind them. That is 
mind-boggling. Um, and yet now with with Bryce Young not in the classic kind of takes away um, the uh, it it takes away some of some of the makeup that that Bryce Young put on that class to take away the blemishes of how bad that class is in terms of the rankings. Right? It's a little it's a lot more clear when you don't have Bryce Young to you know push those rankings up uh, of how poor that class is. Jake Garcia isn't able to do that because he's twenty twenty one. So the 2020 class is just going to have to be what it is for now until SC figures out something better. Uh, and who knows if that's even possible at this time. Well, and that's the, that's this is the thing is there's a middle ground here and you have to be able to see it from both sides. USC's 2020 class is a huge problem right now. And unfortunately, USC isn't going to have a lot of time to put that class together because of the December signing period. In the past, you could look at it and say, well, USC just needs to close in January. It'll be OK. But they don't have that January period anymore, really, because so many guys now sign in December. So uh, you are really looking ahead and thinking, man, things are really, really, uh, really dangerous because not just because USC's classes rank so low, but because so many of the top recruits are already committed. So you're going to have to talk about some major flip action that you're going to have to do in order to turn this class around. But on the flip side, you also can look at the 2021 class and say that you have a really strong foundation for that class. Between Jake Car- Jake Garcia and between Naoteote, uh, uh, Paula Ie Naoteote's brother, Ma, I think I'm saying that right, uh, Jay Toy is in that class too. So you have some strong foundation there with those guys, and, and, and that is the power of USC recruiting still at work. But you have to be able to look at both sides and say, well, 2020 looks like a huge gap year almost for USC recruiting and 2021 shows you that what you can still put together uh, if you do if you get things done early enough but the 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 truth of the matter is that you can't sugarcoat the 2020 class certainly not without Bryce Young in there propping it up uh even if you can look forward and say well USC still is capable of recruiting it's just that this class and uh you you pair 2020 with 2019 and you're sort of looking at quite the dip well, the problem is, you know, you talk about 2020 as a gap year. 2019 was supposed to be the gap year. 2019 is where SC ends up ranking, what was it, 19th or something like well, that? Well, th- but this was always like, my point. That- this was always my point about 2019 isn't actually that bad of a class. Like 2019 is still perfectly sure. fine in terms of classes. What what 2020 is showing you is that like people freaking out about the 2019 class were probably overreacting because that class isn't bad at all compared to what USC is shaping up to bring in in 2020. People are about to find out what a really bad class looks like based on the 2020 class. Yeah, but but still, USC's standard is top 10, top 5 classes, and neither one of those uh, are to the level that USC has recruited at uh, of late. So SC needs to win games. SC needs to turn things around. The 2020 class, probably unsalvageable, but 2021 is at least looking good for now, a lot of things can change, obviously, uh, and we will see that when uh, in, in due time. But Jake Garcia, big get for USC in 2021, five-star quarterback out of uh, two-time state champ Narbonne. So uh, good pickup for the Trojans. Uh, let's get into the rewatch, talk about USC's win over the Utes a little bit more, and then get into over-under, and then open up the mailbag to finish this thing out. We'll be right back. All right, Alicia, it has been a couple of days since USC's win over the Utes on Friday night. Uh, we've had a few 
few days to decompress, think about it, look back. You've rewatched it. You've broken it down uh, in your rewatch over on Patreon. Uh, how do you feel about it now? The same exact as I did uh, in the car cast. I, I go into the rewatch thinking, you know, I'm going to soften my views. And uh, the last two rewatches have not softened my views at all. Uh, that game was ridiculous. And, and really my big conclusion that, that I've come to after rewatching uh, the Utah game and rewatching the BYU game and having them sort of back to back is that USC played the same game, except they managed to win against the better opponent. And I don't understand how that even happened, except that USC had more individuals make the, you know, the, that, that thing that annoyed me against BYU that Clay Helton was pushing, that they made one more play than us thing. Um, USC just made one more play than Utah. Uh, or a couple more plays than Utah, but really it was the same exact game. the The offensive line was poor. The defense was inconsistent. Uh, the the performance wasn't any better, and yet somehow USC got out of there with a an upset win over the number ten team in the country. You know, just like we just like we planned it. Yeah, I I want to talk about Matt Fink here on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, we talked about it in the Carcast, um, and you have you have said on Renatory dot com. You, you've talked about it in the carcass before, the whole YOLO nature of his game. Rewatching it, looking back at every single snap that he had in that game. Uh, do you think, if all things considered, he's the guy you would go to this week against Washington? I would, personally. But that's because I've always been really okay with the idea of Matt Fink running this offense. And honestly, I didn't necessarily expect Matt Fink running this offense to be YOLO. <laughs> But I quite enjoyed it, so I'm here for it. Let's just go YOLO. Let's just go all in on the YOLO raid. Um, and this is something like, you know, I've gotten some pushback from some people. It's like, that's being disrespectful to him. It's like, no, he completed the, all three of his touchdowns were YOLO touchdowns uh, downfield that he, like, he put, it, put it up for his receivers. Half of his incompletions were long bombs that he overthrew. So, like, you know, that's very much what this offense was. Uh, and it worked for him. And, you know, uh, I, uh, given the way that USC's offensive line has performed in the last two two weeks, I'm willing to, to sit here and say, yeah, I'll go with Fink rolling out of the pocket and chucking it downfield to, my, to Michael Pittman and seeing how it works out. Uh, I, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world, especially if Keaton Slovis is going to have uh, the week where he's not going to be able to practice, to practice I assume, um, and another road trip. Like, maybe Matt Fink is the spark that this, this offense needs. I don't know. In the game, uh, rewatching the game, Fink was much more capable. Like, Fink ran the offense just fine. Uh, I think the thing that, that really burned USC uh, a couple times was starting drives off with um, with runs that got stuffed because USC's offensive line can't block, uh, you know, uh, can't block a, 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 an ant or whatever. Um, and then there were, the, you know, one of the third down, the third quarter drives that got blown up in that game was because the the offensive line was a swinging door in the past in past defense and Matt Fink couldn't get away from from pressure that that one time and there was a sack on a third down so you know I, I think that there there's a lot to build on with the offense in that game and I think Matt Fink, Matt Fink is perfectly capable of running this offense and I kind of like the nature of his game I, I kind of like his uh his veteran presence and yeah I think you're gonna get burned a few times like he did in that game with throwing up a YOLO pass and having it be intercepted. But uh, if, if you make the defense have to have to take you seriously with the downfield passing game and very few secondaries are going to be able to stand up to USC's receiving core 
uh, under the best of circumstances, like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all in. I'd, I'd love to see it. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I, I think if they're both healthy for me, I think Slovis is the guy because I think that he ran the offense a little bit more in line with what the offense was supposed to be designed to do. He had a good first two plays. <laughs> wow, Utah. great. I mean, first two it, plays always look good, right? He he stood in really well uh, on when he took that shot. Like it was very impressive him getting that pass out the way that he did, despite taking that shot. So you know, in 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 the two plays he was out there, he looked quite good. Quite, By the quite way, good in editing your your pictures from the game, I was amazed. You got like six pictures of Keaton Slovis. The dude played two plays. Yeah, like six. Yeah. Six pictures that were edited, like you take like 1,500 photos in a game, right? But six pictures that were good enough to be, you know, edited and cropped and all that stuff, which which is pretty crazy, uh, yeah. all, all, thing, all things considered. But yeah, uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the quarterback battle. We'll talk about that more later on this week, of course. And another thing to note in USC's win over Utah, Clay Helton got uh, awarded for winning the game as the coach. With the uh, Bobby Dodd Trophy Coach of the Week Award uh, presented by the Peach Bowl. Look at that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he, he got the big upset of the week, right? Um, although I, I find this kind of funny because, like I said, I don't think USC played any better no. against Utah than they did against BYU. And yet they managed to win the game. and. You know, maybe it's just that they didn't have three interceptions. Like, maybe it's just that simple. But I don't know that that had anything in particular to do with coaching, except that, and this is something I gave Clay Helton credit for uh, in my uh, in my report card on, on RandomTroy.com, was that, you know, the, the, he, the, the, there have been plenty of reasons for the team to quit on Clay Helton over the, the, the weeks and months. And they just really haven't. He's he's pretty much kept them together. So, you know, credit Clay Helton for keeping them focused, keeping them together, and having them go in against Utah and and pulling out a win. But, like, in the grand scheme of, you know, who, uh, who was the coach of the week, like, I don't know, maybe... Uh, Maybe Pitt knocking off uh, UCF was a more impressive upset. Pat Narduzzi, um, yeah. Chris yeah. over at, at Wisconsin beating Michigan. Yeah, yeah. Well, what what Wisconsin did to Michigan, that's probably the best performance of the week, right? So uh, I I think that. Can I read this uh, quote though from from Jim Terry, the chairman of the Bobby Dodd Coach of the Year Award? Quote, let's hear it. When adversity strikes, great leaders find a way to win. Helton has not only faced pressure on and off the field, but he's found success in spite of these major challenges. Coach Dodd would have admired his tenacity and leadership in overcoming these early season opticals. Obstacles. I mean, that's, opticals. What's, what's an optical? Optic, well, the, a lot of it is optics for Clay Helton, isn't it? Um, <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, yeah so it, it's really just a Clay Helton's on the hot seat and he pulled out the win that, you know, prevented his heat seat from getting hotter. Like, I, I get it. I get it. But I just, I think that the, the job that Paul Christ is doing over at Wisconsin is just more impressive. Um, not, not that I'm wanting to hate on Helton, because like I said, I give him credit for keeping this team together. I just don't think USC's performance was like, wow, USC turned things around, because they they really didn't. It was just... No, the the ship didn't sink with a third-string quarterback, and for that, I think, yeah. I think there, there's some credit to be had. But like you said, they, they didn't play uh, markedly better than, than they did 
uh, last week against BYU, if better at all. So, yeah, that's where SC stands. Uh, let's get into the over-under here. Uh, we're we're going to talk about this very brief, uh, probably our shortest over-under session of all time here. Mm-hmm. So you're going over. I'm feeling bold. Give me that over. I'll go under. i got to take an under here. i got three unders to take. I'm going to do an under. All right, Alicia, uh, we're really crunch for time on this one, so we're just going to, like I said, roll through these. Uh, for the season, I entered at twelve and nine. You were at eight and thirteen. Jeez, talking about a terrible record. Mm-hmm. Uh, first one you said over under two point three five yards per carry for USC. That was the average that USC had on the ground last year. Uh, Thirty one carries for seventy three yards last year. Uh, you said under. I said over. It was under. USC averaged point six yards per carry. Yeah, not a banner day for USC's rushing attack, although this is something that Jake Olson po- pointed out rightly on Twitter uh, that I saw him him say on Monday was that, you know, the, the running game didn't do very well, but when it came down to it, when they had to get the yards to run out the clock late in the game, uh, they got them. So credit them for, again, those are things where I think that you give Clay Helton credit because he instills that kind of uh, mentality in his team and uh, they go out and, and get it done and as as much as I can be critical of USC's offensive line for their performance in that game, which was generally not good, uh, they 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 were on top of things uh, in in that last drive that they needed. So kudos. Yeah, I mean, how many times have we seen SC not put the ball the the game away late? Yeah, plenty of times. Yeah. Plenty of times. Uh, next one, I said over under one and a half. Keaton slowest interceptions. We both took the under, and we look like geniuses. <laughs> it was zero. Zero interceptions in two attempts. Nice. Yeah, pretty solid. Uh, next one, you said over or under one and a half sacks for USC. Uh, Utah hadn't allowed one yet in 2019. You said over. I said under, which I think was the smart bet. It was the over because it was two. Yep, it was two. So, yeah, that's that's another one right for me, Michael. And we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's get the next one. Uh, over under two and a half, Amon Ross St. Brown catches. You said over. I said over. He did play. There was an injury concern with him, but he played nonetheless. He caught the first two passes from Keaton Slovis in the game and had five for the game total. Uh, five catches, 68 yards, including a gorgeous touchdown and uh, one of those YOLO touchdowns from Matt Fink. He gets blitzed up the A-gap. Kind of scrambles with his like a chicken with a head cut off, throws it, chucks it down deep, and Amon Ross St. Brown makes a spectacular catch uh, right there at the goal line. Uh, so five catches is the over for the two and a half catch line. We both get that right. Yeah, and it was good to see Amon Ross St. Brown involved in this game. It was good to see the three primary receiving targets all catch a touchdown pass. And all sort of have the ideal involvement that you would have. Now, obviously, Michael Pittman's the star of the of the game with 10 catches. Uh, but you get five for Amon Ra. You get four for Tyler Vons, if I remember correctly. And like the split of those three is, is probably something that's that's an ideal for USC. Maybe you want to see, especially when they only ran, you know, 50 some odd plays. So if you actually run the 70 some odd plays that you, you think you're going to be able to run in this air raid, um, under under normal circumstances, then you could imagine one of the three having a big 10, t- 10 catch game and then the other two cleaning up with, you know, six or seven each. Uh, but at the very least, getting five and four, you, you were spreading the ball around between those three. You're still not getting a lot of other receivers involved, um, but you did have a tight end catch, a really key tight end catch in this game. So 
I kind of liked the distribution of it, of it all in this one. Yeah, I, I'd second that. Everyone got involved. Everyone scored a touchdown, uh, which uh, which is good to see. Next, next one. Uh, you said over under thirty five point five percent third down conversions for the Trojans. Uh, that was their low against BYU. Uh, they had been averaging forty three percent, and Utah was first in Pac twelve defense at just thirty percent that they were allowing teams to convert on third down. You said over the thirty five and a half. I said over as well. SC was definitely over. They were 5 of 10, 50%. I would take that any day of the week if I was Clay Helton. Yeah, and it's like, I don't <laughs> I don't remember what my reasoning for taking the over was, but yeah, USC has been kind of weirdly decent on third down. So, yeah. I mean, I guess it's helpful when you have receivers who are really capable of making catches. Like, I think that's got to be what it just comes down to, right? Yeah, when they're, you know, going beyond the sticks, I think that always helps on third down. Uh, and that'll be in short of the sticks in, in overtime on third down. But uh, yeah, 5 of 10, that's what you want. SC was able to uh, sustain drives that way, even though I it it felt for long stretches like they weren't able to put together drives. So them being 5 of 10 uh, is kind of surprising to me, kind of a little bit. Uh, last one, over under 9.5, John Houston tackles. You said under, I said over. It was 9 Right on that edge. Uh, so you get that one right. Yeah, and it's not that John Houston wasn't involved in the game. He just wasn't the most involved. Talano Havanga and Palia Nateote both had 14 tackles. And I don't know. I just, I, I, I guess I was, I guess I was right. Nine is still a lot of tackles. Just, it's not double digits. Uh, Hufanga had the best game by a safety that Clay Helton has ever seen in his time at USC, according to Clay Helton, on the conference call on Sunday night. Do you agree with that? Hmm. Um. Well, I'm just sort of racking my brain right now what safeties USC has had have big performances. I mean, Talanoa Vanga was all over the place in this game, all yeah. over the place. And, like, on my rewatch, I was tallying the number of, like, positive impact plays you know, that players have and, like, he was he, he was easily the, the the highest one across the board on defense, and he was just out. Like the thing I loved about Talano Hafanga's performance in this game was that he was setting the tone. Um, he just come. He was punishing people when he was hitting them. He was taking them down, not missing tackles, always around the ball, ma- taking good angles to the ball, which is something that USC in general has struggled with. Um, reading the game really well. I just I really enjoy watching him play. Is it the best safety performance that USC has had under Clay Helton? Uh, I mean, recency bias, uh, sure. I'm trying to think, like, Marvell Tell had some really good performances, but kind of inconsistent performances. He had some good performances. I mean, you know, there was a guy named Leon McQuay who had a yeah, big Leon key Ma- interception in a key game, I think. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I think it's really hard to quantify. It's hard to, to say he's that Helton's wrong with this. Uh, Hufanga looked really good. I think this is the Hufanga that we all thought that was potentially on this roster, right? That, you know, yeah, he is someone sure. who could potentially be an All-American at the end of his career because he had that ability. He had shown flashes that he could be really, really good. He showed it in this game against the Utes, and that's exactly what you want to see. You want to see him build on that going into next week uh, at, at Husky Stadium. We'll see uh, what happens with that. Uh, so uh, that finishes over under. Uh, you went six to zero. Uh, I went three and three. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for the for the season record, uh, I have a good lead. 
Uh, I have 15 over-under wins. You have 14, which means, again, I am in the lead, which is good. You uh, were in a commanding lead, and all of a sudden you are no longer in a commanding lead. The game is back on, Michael. I am still in that lead, Alicia. You're clinging to a lead now. Read between the lines. Read between the lines. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, Rod Index. We said if SC scores 31 points, they will win. Alicia, they scored 30. Uh, and we said if USC Almost. holds <laughs> if USC holds Utah to thirteen, they will win. Uh yeah, sure. That that, that all kind of worked out. I mean, USC scored four offensive touchdowns, so that should just be what the rod index is. is just, do I, I, they... I think Richard is right. The rod index doesn't tell us anything. The rod index should strictly be four offensive touchdowns. If Pretty USC much. scores four offensive touchdowns, they, they should win, win the game. I'm I'm they here should, for it. Should should at least should win the game. That that should be the key. Uh, let's go to uh, game predictions. Uh, we don't know what Bill Connolly's prediction was because we recorded this a little bit early last week. Uh, Vegas said the Utes by three and a half. You said Utah thirty three, USC twenty six. I said USC thirty eight, Utah. 24. Michael was right. Michael was wrong. Yeah, that's right. Uh, the actual score, USC 30, Utah 23. Uh, you were right to pick the pick the Trojans over the Utes. Um, I will point out that I had USC winning this game when we did our season predictions. So, yeah, but you, you know. went back on it. Yeah, because I watched the BYU game. And then USC did the same thing well, and managed to win. To, you're supposed to say that I picked Utah to win this game, and I went back on that. So, Well, it's true. You did go back on it. Also, I didn't anticipate Zach Moss getting injured. I'm curious how this game would have gone if Zach Moss wasn't injured. Now, it's entirely possible USC still wins the game because I think USC's run defense um, in the middle of the field, in the interior, is the best part of that defense. So maybe he would have been neutralized to a point, but yeah. That's unfortunate, for Utah at least. Yeah, and uh, let's talk about pickums. By the way, uh, because I am the idiot who hedged my bets, and even though I picked USC to win on the podcast, I thought they're not actually going to win. There's no actual football reason for them to win. I'll just pick Utah and the pickem. Alicia, I would have had the best record in the entire Reina Troy Pickem League if it wasn't for a that. And B, Washington State blowing a 32-point lead. The best person in the Pick'em League this past week was T-Rock, who went 16-3. and 16-3! Only games that T-Rock missed was SMU's stunning win over TCU, Auburn over uh, Texas A&M, uh, and ASU losing to Colorado. Uh, stellar week for T-Rock. I was fourth in the Pick'em League at 14 and 5. Alicia, do you want to know what your record was? Um, Because we recorded the episode early, someone didn't remind me to make my picks. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. I didn't make my picks. <laughs> because, uh, spoiler, I mean, uh, uh, behind the scenes, normally, 90% of the time, I make my picks while we're recording <laughs> 
recording the episode or right before we record the episode. So, yeah, that was a fail. So let's just let's just, you know, take a deep breath here and figure this all out. Uh, you went six and zero in over unders. Yes. But oh, and 19 in pickups. Yes. Dare I say. Michael was right. Michael was right. Michael was right. Yeah, that's right. You were were right that I was going to not put my picks in. I'm I'm righter than you. That's the point here. Uh, So far, thus far, through four weeks, scantily clad peristyle still right up there at the top uh, with a 70 and 24 record. Two-game lead over Kangaroo 30. Uh, and then I am 13th with a 63-31 and 31 record. And then I got to scroll way down, way, way, way down for you at 58th place. Tied My with uh, USC's a punting school, which is pretty apropos, I will say. Uh, let's get to the mailbag and wrap this thing up. We'll be right back. You've got mail. All right, Alicia, let's go to a voicemail we got from Jackie. Michael, Alicia, it's Jackie from Palo Alto. Wow, what a game. Curious to see if you think this was more of an offensive or defensive win. Um, I personally think defensive. I thought they really adjusted well in the second half and looked great against the Utah offensive line. Um, What a win and what a week for Matt Fink. Um, is he going to start next week at Washington if there's a choice between him and Keaton Slovis? And uh, finally, happy birthday, Alicia. Thank you, Jackie. Uh, appreciate all the birthday wishes that I've received from the from the Rapots, uh this past week. And uh, yeah, I'm actually with Jackie on this uh, in the first part of her call uh, that I think it was it was very much um, the the defense getting the stop getting the stops that they need, even though they looked really ugly, and the offense scoring four offensive touchdowns. So. Like, in that sense, it was kind of a, a team win where special teams didn't screw up. Uh, in fact, they had a kick block, so there's that. But mostly, special teams didn't screw up. Um, the defense did its bend-but-don't-break kind of routine and came up with the big plays when they needed them. And the offense scored four offensive touchdowns. Like, that is the recipe for USC winning a lot of games. Special teams don't screw up. Offense, score four offens- offensive touchdowns. Defense, get your stops when you can get them. And... You're, you know, 30 to 23 would be a, a pretty regular scoreline for USC if they could score 30 points every week. Yeah, it wasn't pretty, but it it, it no. got those results. Absolutely. The point I want to make, and I, I made this in the, the Rot Crew Slack, Ben Griffiths, I, I, I know we've been hard on Ben Griffiths and, you know, you've been a major fake news proponent of the, the Ben Griffiths uh, narrative, but why wasn't Ben Griffiths the player of the game? He nails a coffin corner, puts Utah at the six, which sets up the safety. The safety is the difference in the game because it leads to the final touchdown, the fourth offensive touchdown for USC, which puts the game away. Ben Griffiths, if he kicks that that punt a little further to where it goes out of bounds, I mean, to where it goes into the, into the end zone for a touchback, there's no safety. If he kicks it a little bit shorter, there's potentially no safety because... If it lands at like the 13-yard line like it did for BYU uh, last week, then there's probably no safety that way either. He put the ball where it needed to be, set up the safety, which set up the, the game-winning score. Yeah, uh, big one, ben, ben Griffiths. He can do that coffin corner. I mean, 
He hasn't necessarily shown it off a ton, but he, he finally did it. So that that's kind of the weapon that we were talking about him potentially being for USC. So, you know, it's a start. It's a start. He gets major credit. Yeah, it, it, it is something. And to go back to Jackie's question, yeah, it, Matt Fink, the, wh- who starts is, is the big question mark. Uh, we do have two more calls about Matt Fink, so let's listen to those. Uh, next up is Ron. Hey, this is Ron up in the Bay Area. You know, watching the last night's game, uh, Utah-USC, I just can't help but wonder if Fink's experience would have served the Trojans better in Provo-Utah the week before against BYU. I know they like Keaton Slovis and the, and the way he, the propensity he has uh, for running the air raid, but sometimes there's just no substitute for experience, and I think that uh, Matt Fink, is a much was a much steadier hand is a much steadier hand uh that would have been that's a tough opener for a true freshman and i think we probably would have won the byu game if fink started that one thanks for the call ron i have a little bit of a hot take here i i will listen to you alicia when you say that matt fink was maybe better suited to beat utah because he brought chaos that maybe utah wasn't prepared for but i gotta disagree with ron here i i think that if anyone was going to be better suited for that game last week, it was JT. Because I think JT would have run the offense more similarly to Keaton Slovis, but would not have been nearly as rattled in his, in on, on the road like, like Keaton Slovis was on his first road start, that he doesn't make all three of those interceptions. He doesn't throw all three of those, those interceptions. You're comparing JT to Keaton. JT and Keaton are some more similar quarterbacks. Right. I'm kind of with Ron here. I'm I'm with Ron here. When you're comparing Keaton to Fink, like of course JT's going to be better because he's he's not going to be hopefully not going to be making the freshman mistakes that Keaton make. But but that's the thing is this is what I was talking about all off season. This is what I was talking about after the Stanford game. Is like I have no interest in I have no interest in watching another freshman go through the freshman growing pains. I'm really not. And and I worry that when you throw freshmen in there with a bad offensive line like USC apparently has. Uh, that you 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 create the potential of ruining them because then you screw up their internal clock and and they're still so busy learning all of the concepts that they need to to do. You throw in the level of difficulty of having to deal with with not being comfortable uh, in their in their line, and you can create a lot of problems. So that's one of the things that I kind of like about Matt Fink is, you know, he's just going to go out there and do his thing, and he's just going to be mobile and bail the pocket when he needs to, and when he needs to throw on the run, he's actually going to be pretty decent at it. And I, I I prefer watching that kind of quarterback, and it, it is a personal preference that that I that I put straight out there that this is just my personal preference. But I think when you look at the BYU game, yeah, the BYU game, as much as I'm okay. So on the grant on the on the larger scale, I think USC has much 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 bigger problems than just their quarterback, um, the offensive line. All like you should be able to overcome the freshman growing pains in that game by running the ball and just dominating a bad BYU, uh, I mean, a bad BYU run defense, you should have been able to just, you know, impose your will on them. USC wasn't capable of doing that, and that's why they lost. But the flip side of why they lost is because Keaton Slovis threw three bad interceptions. And I think that Matt Fink probably doesn't make those kinds of mistakes in, in the same way because he's just more seasoned. And even though he doesn't have a lot of game experience, he has a lot of practice experience. He's he spent more time in an, in in a college level offense going against college level players uh like he like he has over the last 3 years. So, yeah, no, I'm I'm with Ron on this. I think if Matt Fink starts uh, against uh, BYU then he uh, the, I I suspect USC wins that game. I can't say for sure for sure that they do, 
But I think that it's perfectly reasonable to to throw that potential sort of hypothetical out there. I don't know. I, you might have made the difference against BYU. I just don't think it's completely crystal clear. I think. That well, it's entirely possible that he throws three interceptions against BYU too. And they so, would just be. They would be different types. Just different of kinds of interceptions. Yes. Yeah. So it's hard to say. I just think that. Uh, I think it's a valid hypothetical to throw out there. That's that's all I'm saying. All right. Uh, let's go to a call we got from Bob. Hey, guys. Uh, first of all, happy – oh, it's Bob in Orange County. Happy birthday, Alicia. It's Saturday morning. I just listened to the post-game car cast, and uh, I thought it was a really good summary of what went on. I happen to be on the Fink train. I think that Fink is more mobile, is more mature, and he's probably should have been the first-string quarterback over the two kids love the two kids but they're just not there yet and so fight on beat the huskies and i think fink needs to start that game and in fact i don't i don't see any reason why i should not start the rest of the game games anyways great show appreciate it have a great weekend bye thanks for the call bob uh alicia two questions basically here for or two statements here from from bob number one fink should have started over uh, JT and Keaton Slovis. And number two, Fink should start the rest of the games. Do you agree with either or both of those things? Um, I, I was on record. I thought that JT had won the job coming out of camp. Um, e- even though, like, I would have been perfectly happy to see Fink win it. Um, just because, like I said, I, I like his style. I dig it. I like his energy. Um, but, you know, when it came down to it, JT made the most sense. He had a year of starting experience under his belt. So, like, I don't think they got it wrong necessarily uh, when it came to that. Um, but I, 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 I mean, this is where it comes back to. Like, we saw what Keaton looked like in that Stanford game, and it was really, really good. But not to be, not to be a, a broken record here, but he is the true freshman. And again, I don't want to watch the true freshman play. In. Like, I'm, I'm done with true freshman. I'm just tired of having to, to see those growing pains. So... Yeah, I, I personally would have had uh, Fink or Sears be the second string guy um, and, and in the case of, of something happening to JT, not having to throw the true freshman in there, even though it obviously worked out for one game and didn't work out for another. Uh, but, I, but I don't think they necessarily made mistakes there because we do see the quality that Keaton brings to the table. And I don't blame them for wanting to just go ahead with him, uh, especially if he was learning from his mistakes and and uh, and and picking up the offense as well as it seemed that he was. Uh, as for Fink starting against UW, I I'm on the I'm on the Fink train too. I would start him against UW, but I do want to prepare people for the inevitability. Keaton Slovis is the starting quarterback of this team, and the moment he is healthy, he will play. And um, I think that that those of us who sort of dig Fink are going to be disappointed because I don't see any scenario where Matt Fink keeps this job. And it has nothing to do with merit or anything like that. I just don't think they're going to Wally Pip Keaton. Like, I just don't think that's what they're going to do. The quarterback doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. Yeah. The quarterback doesn't matter. Well, the quarterback doesn't matter so long as Keaton isn't making the critical freshman errors. Right. And Correct. If, if Keaton learns from BYU, then everything is okay. But if Keaton doesn't learn from BYU, then then you get into problems. So like it's kind of the crossroads there of how quickly can he learn from his mistakes? Can he make it once and then not make it again? And you're going to be really then you're going to be more than fine. Um, but if he's the kind of freshman who's going to need, uh, you know, two or three or four mistakes each time to, to get over it, then, yeah, it's going to be pretty rough. But we don't know what kind of quarterback he is yet because we've only seen him to, we've only seen him make the mistakes once. Keaton Slovis might, might make different interceptions than Matt Fink, but I think 
Matt Fink is still prone to throw an interception, as we saw uh, against Utah. So they just might be different ki- types of mistakes. Um, but but overall, but like I, you, I, you know, said, the quarterback in theory doesn't matter. In theory, uh, doesn't matter if they're sticking to the offense. Yeah, and 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 where I've my only you know gripes against Fink has been my perception that he's kind of veered away from what the offense was designed to do because he has the ability to improvise and the ability to improvise is good in a lot of ways so don't get me wrong there i but i think that if you're sticking to what the offense is the quarterback for the most part doesn't matter at least compared to most things yeah uh let's go to an email we got from K-Chan. Uh, I read that JT Daniels didn't go on the trip to BYU. The TV cameras showed JT and Slovis together on the sidelines a lot during the Fresno State game and against Stanford. Do you think that not having there, him there affected Slovis against BYU? I suspected that Daniels may be getting better at getting through to Slovis than Helton as far as keeping him focused and trusting his teammates. Uh, this is an interesting email because, um, not specific to Keaton, obviously, because against Utah, he wasn't playing. But I, I did notice JT a lot uh, in that game. And one of the things that I liked was JT was sort of on the sideline yelling out the defensive calls. Like he was yelling, he was he was uh, yelling out, you know, cover two, cover two. And so, yeah, that, that can be an asset. And I think that maybe there was an element of that, that he wasn't able to, to travel against BYU. Now, it wasn't a decision to not have him travel to BYU. He he could not fly because of the surgery. Um, so, you know, that's that's just something that's going on with uh, the, the the aftermath of of having the surgery and all that kind of stuff. So, like, I don't think this is a mistake that USC is necessarily making. It's just an advantage that USC will have when JT is able to be on the sideline. Um, but uh, I, I kind of buy, I kind of buy that having the quarterback uh, out there, especially one like JT, who is so good. Like, that's the thing that everyone raves about JT is his work on the chalkboard and his, his ability to sort of uh, grasp the concepts of the game and all of that kind of stuff, at least in the theoretical. Um, that That's certainly an asset to have on the sideline. And when, when he wasn't there, it really might have impacted uh, how well Keaton was able to then uh, react to what it what it was that he was seeing from BYU, but uh, that's going to be another factor in in Washington because I don't think JT is going to be traveling for that game either. Yeah, I, I feel like he's not going to go on any of these road trips because you're, you're limited numbers anyways, uh, and he counts. Having him take one of those trips takes away from somebody else that they can bring on the travel roster. Uh, so I I don't know that the value is there, but I I do think that he could absolutely be comforting to both Slovis and Matt Fink. Uh, we did get that email before the Utah game, by the way, so uh, take that for what it's worth. Uh, let's go to an email we got from Ray. Our defense lets Utah out of its goal line to the 35-yard line and get a couple of penalties. Puts Utah on the 25. We can't stop anything on the outside. When are we going to get a DC that can stop someone when we need it? Ray in Florida. That email came mid-game. Yeah, USC's defense is very frustrating. Like, I'm not gonna lie, they're very frustrating. But they they get the they get the stops that they need, and um, you know, USC isn't gonna change DCs this year. So you sort of have to accept what this defense is gonna be. There was a reason why it felt like maybe USC should have moved on from Clancy Pendergast. I mean, and I love I I really like Clancy Pendergast, but. You know, I I don't think he's done well enough to adjust to uh, to 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 offenses that he's been facing, and I don't think he's done well enough to fix the problems that his defense has had. I think that he might be a little bit stubborn about some of the concepts that he's leaning on. Um, 
I, you know, I, I, I don't know how to necessarily articulate this, but I suspect that his third down defenses, his plans, his third down defense game plan, his third down defensive calls that, that, that I just, I don't know. They're weirdly effective because the numbers are fine in terms of conversions, but like the number of times that USC has like a third and 15 that becomes a fourth and two that you then let the other, that let the opposing team attempt the fourth and two because they gained 13 yards on uh, on on a third and 15 like that's a problem even if you're stopping the third down conversion so uh, I don't know the, it's very frustrating but at the same time as we've always said this defense is going to stop and hold teams to between to between you know 20 28 points and if your offense is scoring four offensive touchdowns that's fine you know like it, it just is what it is at this point yeah I, that's that's where I am on the defense it is what it is you know what it is uh, I, I've talked before but about I don't understand the point of getting all riled up about what Clay Elton says in conference calls. You know what he's going to say. If you don't like what he says, then don't listen to what he says because you're, you, you know what, what the line of thought is, right? Uh, you know what's going to happen with this defense. It's not making an excuse for them because they're, they're surely flawed. But you know what this defense is going to do. They're going to allow 20... 25 points, uh, and they're going to do it in the most frustrating of ways, but they're going to get the job done at the end of the day half the time. Uh, and against Utah, that will absolutely work when you're able to score that fourth offensive touchdown. And against BYU, when you can't quite get there, uh, it's going to cost you. So, yeah, you, you know what the offense is. I mean, you know what the defense is, which is why you go out and find an offense that is that can give you a lot of potency, which is what the air raid is supposed to do. USC just needs to find a way to run that consistently uh, and have the effect that they did against Stanford uh, against everyone. Uh, let's go to an email we got from Jay in Atlanta. Michael and Alicia, regarding the Utah game, I, unlike many fans, was not surprised. I have never considered the Utes any more of a playoff caliber team than we are, even though they are arguably slightly better coached and more physical. I expected them to crap the bet on the road in the same way I expect Notre Dame to be very beatable in the Coliseum, yet look like national championship contenders when they thrash Helton squads in South Bend. Which leads me to this. Washington on the road, Oregon on the road, Notre Dame on the road, Cal under Wilcox with the F. Clay Helton chip still on his shoulder on the road, and finally an even better coach and possibly fired up Arizona State team on the road. In your opinions, does the Helton and company mediocrity nightmare continue for all of us after the team finishes with four to five losses and a meaningless bid to the public toilet bowl as sponsored by Charmin? Fight on, Jay in Atlanta. Yeah, thanks for the email, Jay. There's a lot going on in that email. Um, I I think there's... Okay, on the Utah thing, yeah, we went into this game wondering, is Utah Utah? Are they just good? Or is Utah great? Have they turned the corner? And we got our answer, you know? It didn't take an exceptional performance from USC to beat that Utah team because Utah is still what Utah is. They're good, not great, and uh, they're going to have to sort of be limited by their ceiling. Notre Dame, I totally agree. I I think that Notre Dame... um, it's entirely possible they have turned the corner too because their performance against Georgia was was pretty good. Uh, but Notre Dame is always Notre Dame is never unbeatable. Uh, certainly not by USC when they bring the talent that they bring. Um, but but you know like USC is also USC, and USC is also the team that 
it, it, they are who we thought they were. Like, that's just who USC is going to be. So even if they beat Notre Dame, even if they beat Washington, even if they beat Cal, even if they beat all of these teams, like, I don't know how much, how much that t- tells us. And when they lose, like, you know, if they lose to these teams, then it's not going to tell us that much either because they are who they are. They are who we, who we think they are. Like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. My, my big fear for USC is just ending up in purgatory, which is kind of the scenario that Jay sets up there, which is a team that finishes, you know, eight and four, nine and three, and goes to some bowl and does something, but is never really going to contend for a national championship. Like, that's my fear. Yeah, the the, the good news for SC, though, I, I think that, you know, if you're talking about future kind of stuff, I, I think the, the threshold for, for what keeps Clay Helton is completely off the table now. Uh, that there's going to be a new AD around. So even if SC goes to the toilet bowl presented by Charmin, uh, or they win, you know, eight, nine games, eight, nine games could have been good enough to stay around for Lynn Swan. Uh, I don't know that eight eight or nine wins is going to be good enough uh, for a new athletic director wanting to make a stamp. I, I kind of want to push back on that. I kind of, now eight wins. I agree. I think if, if Clay Elton has eight wins, it, I don't it, think, Clay, that the, I don't think there's a hard number. By it, the no, way. I don't, I don't know that there's a hard number. I agree. I think eight and four, you probably are still within the zone of potential firing, but like once you get up to nine and three, like, okay, here's the thing is we can all look at this objectively and say that Clay Hilton's teams, despite their uh, records have always had an, an air of um, limitation to them. So, the 2017 team wins the the Pac-12, but they get blown out, and it's clear they're not actually national title contenders. The 2016 team uh, wins the Rose Bowl, but they don't actually win the South, so what does it all mean? Uh, the 2018 team obviously goes five and seven. The 2019 team, let's say they go nine and three, ten and two. Like if your if your team is nine and three, then you're talking about a head coach who in four years has had three nine win seasons, including a Pac-12 title a Rose Bowl win and probably at the minimum in 2019 if he goes 9 and 3 uh a uh, a Pac-12 South uh division title as well so that's two two Pac-12 South titles a Pac-12 title a Rose Bowl win in 4 years with three 9 win seasons i mean that again we can all sit here and say like it's not good enough for USC i i'm not saying that it's good enough for USC but if you're a new AD coming in and you know you got to pay out Clay Helton's buyout and all these assistant coaches buyouts and you look at what he's actually achieved in the last four years. I, I think there's a very decent possibility that you look at it and say like nine wins is 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 a lot to be firing a coach over in his fourth year. Like It'd be one thing if he's in year eight or nine and you're in nine win purgatory like uh, Georgia has been in and Oklahoma has been in. But like I just... That equation I I find very difficult to stomach, especially when the players love Clay Hilton the way that they do, especially when a lot of the alumni like Clay Hilton the way they do. Like, it's tough, guys. It's really tough. If you look at this logically, if you, if you take away your, you know, uh, the it's just not good enough for USC kind of glasses off, like, th- see through the eyes of an administrator and I... Again, I think that's really tough to say that you fire a coach who goes nine and three. I I get what you're saying. I I just you know th- they're not bringing in a new athletic director uh, to do nothing. That that's that's what I just go back to. So uh, 
I mean, very well. You, if SC goes nine and three, and their losses are with a second or third, all losses with a second or third string quarterback, you can definitely make that case that well, you know, it was I, I you know, I, I lost a, a game with my with my freshman uh, backup quarterback who threw three interceptions in his first game, and then oh, you know, we, he, then he got hurt, and I had to go to the third stringer, and he lost that Washington at Notre Dame, who were two teams that could potentially finish as top 10 teams and and SC goes 9 and 3 and wins the rest of their games. Yeah, I think there's an excuse to to be made that that would have a point there and, and maybe that changes things. But I, I think in general, I I if like <laughs> to go off Jay's email, they go the toilet bowl. I I think that's I think that's good night nurse, but just saying. <laughs> I mean it like I I want to I want to reiterate like I personally would just move on I just clean slate it all but I I can see where what is the toilet bowl by the way is it is that the sun bowl yes that's absolutely the sun bowl okay all right uh, email from Randy in Redlands hey guys it's been a while since I've written in the show I've been really turned off by all the negativity around the program I can't get on a message board or listen to a podcast without hearing hate and negativity and Twitter is so ridiculous. I understand that coming off of a 5-7 and seven season, people are disappointed and that changes needed to be made. What I don't understand is how people who call themselves fans can actually root against their team, hoping this new staff will fail so they can bring in the big-name coach of their dreams. I think Clay Helton has done enough for this program to deserve a chance to turn things around. This season will decide whether or not he can. We have a young team, a new coaching staff, a new strength and conditioning staff, the culture seems better, the mindset and the work ethic seems better, and the scheme of the offense is definitely better. I'm hoping the staff is given a year to coach these guys up and will produce much be- a much better result on the field. Be- but to expect it right out of the gate of starting the gate might be a little bit too much. I think everything around this program, from the coaching to playing to recruiting, would be better if all the noise would just go away. We should do like the team does and take it one game at a time Enjoy each victory, mourn each loss for 24 hours, and then move on. Then, at the end of the season, a new athletic director can add up the wins and losses and make a decision on what's best for the football program going forward. Whether or not Clay makes the cut, I don't know, but I do think he deserves to be treated with the same respect and class that he has shown every day uh, since he was a part of the program. As always, I thank you for what you do. Hands down, you are my favorite podcast. No one does it better. Fight on, Randy from redlands thanks for the email randy and i think you have a a lot of really good points and and i totally sympathize with the idea of not wanting to hear all the bad things that are happening all the negativity like i i totally get that and uh, i've said this before i'm less likely to listen to my liverpool podcast after a liverpool loss because i just don't want to stew in it so i totally get it um the the thing i like best about that email though is the idea that like Clay Hilton deserves the chance to just sort of see this all play out. And that's kind of what, you know, e- even as I'm sitting here saying, I I would like to see USC just clean slate it because I'm really tired of the narratives that are going around. I think that Clay Hilton does deserve the chance to, to, to do what he does here. And I and and this is one of the things why I push back on the idea that like no matter what, Clay Hilton's going to get fired at the end of the season. Well, I don't think it's no matter what. I think Clay Hilton can win his way into keeping his job, regardless of of. of who the new AD is. And I think that uh, that he's made his changes, and I would have liked to see more change come through in terms of the performances of this season. I think my disappointment over the last two weeks has been that the BYU and Utah games look a hell of a lot like the games that we saw last year. 
from this team uh, with just sort of some different players thrown in. So, like, to me, that's the problem is USC could could improve to eight and four, nine and three. And I could still be sitting here at the end of the season saying, like, I don't think this staff is capable of winning a national title at USC. And if I don't think that they're capable of winning a national title at USC, then I don't see what the point of persisting is. But again, to look at it from a reasonable perspective, if you're Clay Helton and if you and you turn this thing around to nine and three, then you have made a huge turnaround, in fact, and something is obviously working. Something is obviously working. So like, again, let's just see how let's just see how the rest of the season plays out. Maybe they will turn a corner. Maybe they will take a big step forward. Maybe Clay Hilton is right when he says this team is special and they'll be proved they'll prove themselves special by the end of the season. I don't know what the future holds. I have my suspicions, but I I never claim to know exactly how things are going to play out. So let's just see how it goes. Um but th- that's that's one thing that <laughs> one thing that really frustrates me is is again, uh this is why I get labeled a Clay Hilton shill, but like I put this on Twitter. Clay Hilton is a medium coach. And USC is in the medium place because Clay Helton is a medium coach. And he's not as bad as fans make him out to be. And he's not as good as the players would, would you know, insist that he is. Uh, he's just medium. And medium isn't good enough for USC, but it's not like he's he's not the devil. And uh, this is one thing that, uh, you know, Scott Rodriguez, um, Jason Rodriguez's uh, father, he's a left tackle on, on the team this year, a freshman, uh, he's very active on Twitter, and he responded to my tweet saying, you know, like, the one thing that's never in question is, is Clay Helton's character and, and all of that and the way that he, the impact that he has on the on the young men that he coaches. And it's like, yeah, that's true. Like, that's Clay Helton for sure. And I get a lot of, you know, people responded going like, no, he's like the worst. And I was like, okay, guys, he can just be, me- like, is it okay that he's just medium? Like, I've accepted he's just medium. Like, and and maybe he'll improve himself. You know, we've seen other coaches who get better as as time go on and they and they learn from their mistakes like I'm willing to give Clay Helton that chance I just I just think he's a medium coach my my frustration is there's going to be no midseason firing yeah and, for sure. and it, a because it just doesn't even make any sense with an interim AD uh it doesn't make any sense uh b i because there will be no midseason firing and, and like like I've said before, like I'm more likely than not, I think that that it will end up being with a how USC plays and and b the situation with the athletic director. M- most likely, he ends up you know going by the wayside at the end of the year, right? So then just let it play out. I I don't see I I don't see the point of responding to every single tweet with fire him right now. There's like. I, I, it's not that I'm against that sentiment. I'm against the sentiment of, you know, every day that goes by that he's not fired. Yeah. Is, is a failure because like that just, that's not realistic. Well, this is my, my point is like being so miserable that you can't even enjoy like Jake Garcia committing to USC. Like being so miserable that you can't even enjoy USC beating Utah. Uh, however crazy that game was. Like, being so miserable that you can't even enjoy USC beating up on Stanford. Like, you know, just take take things at face value. Take them for what they're worth. Just, you know. The, the, the thing for me is that it's, it's college football. College football is such a freaking small window. It's only around for three months. Three months. 
And then we sit around the rest of the year and just bemoan how it's not here. And it, it is really depressing to think uh, and to, to, to sit there and just not take it, take it in for what it is. Because like you said, like Clay Elton's a medium coach. Uh, they're probably more than likely 99% of the chance not going to win a national title under Clay Elton. That, that is what it is. We all know this. Uh, USC probably should have made a, 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 a coaching change. Surely should have made a coaching change after the 5-7 and seven season. We all agree on that. But for, for, for what's happening right now, it's not going to happen until the end of the year. You're getting up in arms every single day, yeah, does get a little tiring. A little tiring. Uh, the team's 3-1. and one. D- Does that mean anything? Who knows? They might be 3-3. Three and three. Just take it day by day. I, I, I do, I do kind of agree with, with Randy here uh, with, with what he's saying there. Uh, let's go to the last email from Andrew. Uh, a quick note. I know we're in hashtag fire Helton mode, but the Bryce D commitment is the most likely not about Helton. I think it's about JT's injury. When he committed, he was in his own mind calendar. JT would not have been drafted by the end of the season. Now JT needs one year to come back and go off and likely a second before properly entering the draft. Add that to the wild card of Keaton Slovis and how good he might end up being. Who knows? But the likelihood of Bryce Young starting in 2020 and 2021 went way down the moment JT got those crutches. I think that's the reason Andrew in Mexico. Yeah, thanks for the email, Andrew. I think I think Andrew's pretty spot. Like, I don't think that Bryce Young decommitting from USC has to be all about Helton or has to be all about, you know, USC being bad. I, I think there is a, a, a scenario where he likes Nick Saban and he likes Alabama and he feels like Alabama is giving him a better opportunity and maybe it was Alabama's the pretty damn good. I don't know like, if, you, if you've realized that. Yeah, exa- I mean, exactly. Like, I don't blame anybody for wanting to go to, Al- go to Alabama. Now, if USC was more stable, if USC didn't have a head coach who we were talking every week about whether or not he's going to be fired, then yeah, sure, I think that, 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 that has to play a role. But there are other things that are going on in a recruitment than just... Clay Helton might be fired because if you're Bryce Young and you're thinking maybe Clay Helton's going to be fired, then you probably hang on until December and see who the new head coach is or, or uh, you know, what what the, the landscape looks like. Um, I, I think it has as much to do about Alabama as anything. And, you know, the JT Daniels, Keaton Slovis stuff uh, surely has uh, has has weight there, too. The Jake, you know, look at it. Jake Garcia may have factored into a lot of these things like i don't i don't know i don't know how you know it's hard to to put yourself in the mindset of you know 17 year old kids there's a million reasons that 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 play into these kind of things and we're not saying that we have inside information or anything like that but yeah when, when you put in the coaching situation better at alabama than at usc the clarity uh, on what's going to happen next season a lot more clearer at alabama than it is at usc because you don't know what's happening with slovis daniels or fink Whereas at Alabama, Tonga Bailoa is going to the NFL after this year. Everyone knows it. Uh, Bryce Young can go in there and potentially win that job. It's not crystal clear at USC. Uh, whether or not that has to do with JT, Slovis, or anybody, that just SC's situation is a little bit more murky for next season. Alabama's in a better situation. They're a better program. They got a better coach. Like, all these things factor in. Exactly. At SC, if, if you're going to lose Bryce Young, replace him with a five star. They did that uh, in, in, in Jake Garcia. 
Uh, they still need to desperately fix the rest of the 2020 class, which probably unfixable at this point. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's what happens when you go five and seven and have no momentum in the recruiting uh, side of things. So uh, we're, that's, that's, we're going to wrap this thing up. Thanks for listening. As always, phone number 213-373-1872. Email address renoftroy at fansire.com. Uh, that's going to end it. Alicia, give us a final word. The final word is blank. As in, I'm drawing a blank and literally cannot think of a final word. So there you go. All right. That works. That works. Uh, until next time, we will see ya. See ya. See ya. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.